I had this grand hope this morning to walk from my apartment in Charles Village in a ritual that my husband and I engage in more often than not to provide some clarity and wisdom. I got home late last night from the march in Washington, D.C., and uh, ministerial procrastination being what it was, uh, most of the order of service still needed some correction. Uh, It was cold out. So I lost this potential to talk about a story of finding wisdom while I walked here because I got so much wisdom yesterday. I've been in a a state of deep reflection on my own beliefs these last 11 weeks about the way the world really works and about how we're lied to about how it works when we're kids. Now, I'm a kid of the 80s, and I remember those after-school specials about how to make a bill. I'm an amendment to be, I'm an amendment to be. And I really want to hold faith to that ideal. And every time I think about the way the world is becoming now, it gets farther and farther from that. I've been contemplating lately the contradiction of a supposedly free society teaching its children to to recite a pledge of allegiance every day. I've been reflecting about creation, about human folly, about sin, about arrogance, about ignorance, and about that which trumps all of those. The belief that is mandatory for a Unitarian Universalist, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, even when they believe in or support something I do not, of the value of respect of the democratic process, even when it is proven to be greatly, greatly flawed. And I've been in deep reflection with Scripture, with the Bible. Me, a stone-cold humanist, for whom the Bible was long a series of texts I outwardly loathed and feared in my youth because so many on the religious right had turned those texts into a weapon. A weapon that turned against anybody who threatened the status quo. A weapon against transgender, lesbian, bisexual, and gay people. A weapon against economic justice. A weapon against everything that makes a society sustainable. And they did it with such amazing efficiency that the outward expression, collectively, by Christian churches in the United States is now something so bastardized 
so hateful, so shrouded in white supremacy and male supremacy and cis supremacy that Jesus would be disgusted. I have this bumper sticker on my car, a gift from a seminary colleague of mine years ago. She thought it was so fitting for my car in particular, and it reads, you'll forgive me, Jesus would slap the shit out of you. (laughs) And in the last 10 weeks, as I felt my theological and political beliefs shifting beneath my feet, I have recognized several things. The Bible's many, many, many stories of overcoming adversity and evil and oppression suddenly make sense to me. And my universalism, the half of our Unitarian Universalist tradition rooted in the tent church populism of rural America in the 18 and early 1900s, compels me to say that those who are responsible for the mess this country and our world is in doing enduring. There is condemnation and blame to go around, and it's coming like a righteous storm. Resistance for me starts with anger. A righteous anger this time around, but anger is not sustainable. It drains the soul. It drains community. It leads to weight gain and drinking too much scotch. (laughs) It leads to pain. It leads to sleepless nights. And it breaks the good into very, very bad parts. So yesterday I had to find myself a congregation of large people, or large crowd of loving people, And yesterday I found it in Washington, D.C. I found a sea of pink hats of children and the handicapped, of gay and straight, of men and women, of people who I talked to who drove from Kentucky and Oregon and New Hampshire and Alaska and Ontario, who flew here from Japan and Pakistan for this event alone. There were so many people, you couldn't move. These people wearing the pink hats have been just as afraid these last 75 days. There has been anger. And when they convened, they found love. It was a sea of love in the mall in Washington yesterday. It was a sea of love in a record crowd in Chicago as well. A crowd that was so large, they apparently had to restructure their march because the marching route they had planned 
was stuffed so full of people, the entire route, that no one could, there was nowhere to march. In San Francisco, the same. In Los Angeles, the same. And when I came home last night, my universalist soul had finally felt rebaptized in that sea of love that I swam in yesterday. For the first time in 75 days, I felt God again. You won't hear this much from this point on, but God was in Washington. And when I came home, I remembered this place as well. Everyone in this room is a gardener and grower of peace and love, which is why we have to be serious about what it means to be a sanctuary congregation. We have to talk about things that have cropped up in this congregation over the last few months. Some behavior that occasionally makes visitors uncomfortable. Behavior that I've seen that have silenced voices with accents. Ways of thinking that have made some feel superior and therefore willing to ignore. This congregation with wealth, this congregation with poverty, this congregation with a call to invest in the city in which it stands. To invest in its people and its ministry is often contemplating the opposite of that call. And that frightens me again. This place has to be a hub of resistance. This place is a loving, caring place, and I've seen amazing grace so often, time and time again, here. Bold people trying to build a land of justice, and like every community of conscience, we are hurting now. This church must be a hub of resistance, it must be a hub of love, and it must be a hub of openness. My husband and I were in Orlando last weekend, and I visited the Unitarian Church in that town. And the service was memorable for many reasons, top of which that the speaker, a lesbian, announced that she and her partner had been married earlier that week. And she cited the reason that I've heard all too frequently these past weeks from non-hetero couples. They wanted to secure their rights as citizens before Friday. And what resonated with me was that I had just performed a wedding in Washington, D.C. the prior weekend for the very same reason. All the couples in question are still planning big, flowery, gaudy, beautiful celebrations at a later date, but they felt the need to have their unions recognized before this recent change. That's fear. A very, very deep fear. But affirmation, 
the amazing grace in life comes through love. These four people, these two men and two women, thought enough of each other and of themselves and of their friends and of their families to affirm through an action of love that hate will not take them down. Love wins. Eventually. It just takes work. It takes patience. It takes time. But love does not repeal laws. Love does not propose laws. Love does not sign executive orders. Love alone cannot grant access to health care with people with pre-existing medical conditions. Love alone cannot provide sanctuary for those who seek to avoid deportation because their parents brought them across a border when they were a toddler. Love alone does not organize. We organize. We provide the sanctuary. We organize to make sure that someone is on call 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52.14 weeks a year to open the church doors for someone who is fleeing the immoral actions of a federal department that is expressing racism through policy. We stand up to anyone who comes into this sanctuary armed and we lovingly escort them out. We protect our trans and disabled and gay and raped and poor siblings from the hostile and unfriendly world. As of Friday, our government stopped making equality and social justice a goal. As of Friday, fear is the tool used to subvert suppress and augment thinking. We absolutely need to provide a sanctuary not only from physical and existential threats, but from the mind games, the propaganda, the fake news, the lies. This is our theology in action for the 21st century. The seven principles that we talk about or preach about and we attempt to live, if you don't know all of them, I don't remember them all the time myself. It's okay. But our principles need to be active every day from here on out. And I can tell you right now that this church is not always the sanctuary that it needs to be. That's okay. No church is perfect. We're all broken people with pain, and we bring it here, and we hug each other, and we love each other, and we admit that we have our work cut out for us. Love is the purest and most powerful form of resistance, and I have no doubt that we are capable 
of building this church into a true sanctuary of resistance and resilience and affirmation of the inclusion of, of in, the religion of inclusion and unconditional love. The, be, the best news, the really good news, is that we have a template in this room for lasting, effective, and world-changing resistance right here every Sunday in this place. He looks back at us. I don't know if you've noticed. (laughs) As though saying, follow my lead. Resistance is an exercise in personal sacrifice. Personal sacrifice. It's an exercise in love. It's an exercise of endurance. It's a kind of training that makes an ultra, a hundred mile ultra marathon look simple by comparison. It's a story that predates the Electoral College. It's a story that predates civil rights, the Magna Carta. It's the story of a man. A man and his simple message that drove the powers of Jerusalem mad. The story of Jesus, the resistance fighter. Jesus, the man who called upon people to resist through love. His story, his message of love and acceptance and peaceful resistance was so threatening to the powers of the day that they said, you know what, put him down. We cannot let this idea of a world of peace and justice and joy and love spread. He was murdered. He was crucified. by an arrogant regime determined to allow their fake news to dominate. And he died fully aware of what his death meant. He knew, he knew that fake news could be muted by the good news. Now, my my beliefs do not include Jesus as the literal Son of God, but it's the story looking back at you. The story that has endured for thousands of years. The story that demonstrates what the legend of a single person can do to affect change in an oppressive society. In that, he is holy. As are we. Jesus lives through the stories, even for those of us who are not Christian, because he made an impact. He sacrificed. The sacrifices that we are going to be called as people of conscience to make these next few years will not be simple ones. It doesn't mean that we give up. 
Jesus was a dark-skinned Palestinian Jew whose first sermon preached liberation for the oppressed, release for the slaves, and good news for the poorest. His best followers were women who praised and lifted up people of other faiths, who tenderly washed the feet of those around him, and who angrily, angrily cleansed the, the temple of hypocrisy. Jesus threw over the tables of bankers in a temple. Imagine what he would say about the government's new cabinet. We don't have time to sit and debate about which programs to cut in this church or in our local governments. We don't have the luxury of culling the hours of the ministry of this church to save a few bucks. We cannot consider ourselves a socially just community because we keep replacing our Black Lives Matter banner. That's the start. The need is out there. I promise you that right now there is a scared teenage gay boy in this town whose family would condemn him if he came out, who will one day walk into these halls. There's a prepubescent boy or girl right now recognizing that they were born into a different, the wrong gender. One day they will be coming through those doors. There are, those of us, there are those for whom the condemning theology of other faiths will want a church, a church sanctuary that affirms them exactly as they are. Those of us with the financial means need to stick a crowbar in our wallet and contribute. This is not stewardship. We're not going to go there this weekend. You're welcome. But maybe come up with a program to sponsor a refugee Syrian family. Nearly every single Unitarian in Canada has developed just such a support program. Support a legal aid, a legal aid program for undocumented people. Perhaps you can finally use our wealth in this congregation to purchase the homes near the Dayspring lot and provide housing support for single mothers whose lives are about to get a hell of a lot worse. The two Americas are growing further apart, like an accelerated splitting of continents over the centuries. We're still able to see the other, We often choose not to. Many of us here are struggling. Many of us here are thriving. My words are not a lecture of are you you giving enough because I feel deep down we all feel the fear. We all feel the need to cling to what we have because we don't know what's coming. What's coming is the good news. What's coming is all of us staying together. Holding each other, supporting each other, caring for each other, lifting each other up. We feel like there's something happening here. 
What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there in the White House telling me I've got to beware. He's trying to tell us we got to be afraid. And many of us have been. From this point forward, I say no. No. I will not live in fear. I will fight back. I will plant the seeds of love that will outgrow the sprawl and development of the promise to reinforce white supremacy. I will recognize my own failings, my own rage, my own flaws in dismantling my own privilege. I will be the shining light and you will be too. For me, I imagine Jesus at that Last Supper, sitting there. Jesus the man. He was afraid that day. He was frightened beyond all of the faith that he knew was coming. He was aware there was conflict and outright rage and deception among those in his circle. The legend of the most defining character in Western history contains someone close who betrayed him. For we are human and we are going to make mistakes. We are going to fail in our collective pledge to live our values over and over and over and over again. We will sometimes stay indoors when protests are called because we fear for our lives. That's okay. We will sometimes choose to take a holiday instead of putting that money to work for social justice. That's okay. But we will keep coming back. The only way the forces of darkness and injustice win is when we stop coming back. Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we love each other and pledge to invest what we have in each other? Can we love Baltimore and spread ourselves beyond the corner of Franklin and Charles? Can we plan visits to a mosque? Can we organize groups that will form a solidarity line around mosques when they are threatened? Will we stand outside Planned Parenthood buildings and let those women know they will always have a safe place to go? I believe that in the midst of this nightmare, we will be part of the newest testament. We will, we will continue to contribute to the story that will rise up against the modern-day Nero. 
We will not fail. We will try our best to love those who oppose our message of inclusivity and justice. We will stand for the justice we seek. We will build a land where the captives go free. Where the oil of gladness dissolves all morning. Oh, we'll build a promised land that can be. May we do this holy work. May we be the shining light. May we forgive ourselves when we stumble. And may we realize that together we will trump hate. Amen.